Well, if you've ever been in a delivery room, let me see a show of hands. If you were delivering or in the delivery room with the person delivering. Okay, yeah, uh, me too. And here's the thing, in a delivery room, you're gonna see some things that you've never seen before, right? I mean, I've been in there three times. It's a wild experience. You, you see some things you've never seen before. You hear some things you've never heard before. Like there's some things that are gonna come out of that woman's mouth that you may have never heard before. Some sounds, some groans, right? You're gonna experience some things you've never experienced before. You're gonna say some things that maybe you've never said before. That, that's what it's like when new birth happens in that delivery room. It, it, it's, it's a miracle. And here's the thing. We're going to see the exact same thing happen today with the birth of a church, with the birth of the church. We're going to go right into the delivery room where the church is born. And just like in our delivery rooms, we're, we're, we're going to see some things. We're going to hear some things. We're going to experience some things. It's what the early church, these first believers experienced in this delivery room of the church. They they heard some things, they saw some things, they, they felt, they experienced some things, and then they began to say some things they had never said before. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, and if you don't have your Bible, or even if you do, uh, the verses are gonna be on the screen, but a great place to like lean in and engage in our time together is in our app. It's called the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store and follow along with the message today. All the points and the verses will be there as well. We are in a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts, and we will be for the next year or so. And if you're wondering, why, why do we preach? Why do we study the Bible verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter here at the City Church? Well, we just believe that that philosophy of study and of preaching produces a deeper faith in God, a deeper trust in God, a deeper love for Jesus, and a deeper commitment to the mission of Jesus. We believe that as we study the, 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 the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that we'll be more effective as a church at producing healthier, deeper, more effective, more faithful, more steadfast, more generous disciples of Jesus. That our marriages will be richer as a result and that our kids, as they study these same verses right now in our kids' classes and in our youth ministry that's meeting right now, they're, they're studying these same passages. That they're gonna know what they believe in and why they believe it, and our families will be on the same page. And so we're challenging you to study the book of Acts with us, not just in here, but also in our city groups. If you're not in a city group, now's a great time with the launch of a new year, new semester, to get involved in one of our small group Bible studies. We call them city groups. They're gonna walk through these same verses this week, talk about these things, and pray about these things. We're gonna challenge you to study the book of Acts with us through our daily devotionals on our app, Monday through Friday, the Bible study tab on our app, go to daily devotionals. They're gonna walk through these same verses this next week with more commentary and application points and, and prayer points. And then we're challenging you to study the book of Acts with us as a family, like in your home, maybe today at lunch or tonight at dinner or this week, use the table talk. That's a Bible study resource under the Bible study tab on our app for your family where you can talk together about what you learned in church this week in the book of Acts. So let's dive in. Acts chapter two, we're gonna be in verse one today. Would you stand in honor of the word of God? Landon Willis is gonna come and read for us. And as he comes and as you stand, I wanna remind you, like we said earlier in our city seven, that what we are reading today is the word of God. 
We believe that it remains the word of God to this day because Jesus told us we would always have his words and they would never pass away. So we think Jesus was telling the truth. He's the risen son of God. We don't think he's a liar. We think he tells the truth. And he said his words would never pass away. So what we have today is still the word of God. Landon, would you come and read the first four verses of our study today? Thank you, Clayton. Like uh, uh, Clayton said, my name is Landon Willis and my wife uh, Jacqueline and I have been members of the City Church for about three years. We have two girls, Emma and June, in the children's ministry and uh, Jacqueline volunteers serving food uh, on during midweek. Uh, we recently became city group leaders and I, I serve on the church uh, finance team. Uh, let's read Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Thank you, Landon. You may be seated. So Acts 2 verse 1 says it's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50th. This was a celebration. This was a festival that took place 50 days after Passover. It was one of the three major festivals that Jews recognized and celebrated. It was also called the, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. In Pentecost, it was a time of harvest where the crops would be brought in and the crops would be sanctified by what was called the Feast of First Fruits. This Feast of First Fruits happened two days after Passover. So that now all the, the harvest that comes in after the Feast of First Fruits is going to be sanctified. It's going to be made holy by this initial offering that would take place on the Feast of First Fruits two days after Passover. So you can have Pentecost, that the crops can be brought in because you have the Feast of First Fruits, where a priest would offer up two loaves of bread with leaven, and the leaven would symbolize the, 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 the evil, right, that the sin that's in us and in this world, the curse of sin that is on this, on this planet, in this universe. And so in this offering at the Feast of First Fruits, it sanctifies, it makes holy what's going to be brought in through Pentecost. Now this would happen for 1,500 years. Passover, Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, 1,500 years the Jews celebrated these festivals, these days. And now, in Acts chapter two, we're seeing the spiritual fulfillment happening of these days, of these festivals. For 1,500 years, God has said, a lamb will die in your place for your sin. That happened at the crucifixion. For 1,500 years, two days later, the Feast of First Fruits was celebrated. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is gonna say that Christ is our first fruits because he was risen from the grave and that happened on the day of first fruits. 50 days later, after the crucifixion, we see now Pentecost. 50 days later, the harvest is about to come in. We're going to see the harvest come in, Acts 2 through 28, and all the way to today, it's still happening. The harvest is coming in. Colossians says it like this, that everything that we see in the Old Covenant, that the sacrificial system, right, the, the, the food and, and dietary restrictions, the, the, the temple worship, 
Everything, these festivals, these, these feasts, Passover, Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, all of these things, Colossians says, were the shadow of the reality. They were a shadow that were foreshadowing and prophesying the reality that would come in Christ. That's what Paul says in Colossians. So the shadow has been there for 15 centuries, and now the reality is here. Now Christ has come. So these three Jewish days shadow what are now three Christian days that are the reality. Passover is the crucifixion, first fruits, the resurrection of Christ from the grave, and Pentecost, which is now the harvest that is coming into this day. So it's Pentecost. They're all together. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus said to, right? We saw that a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter one. Hey, go to, you're gonna be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, but wait, go to Jerusalem, wait for the gift my father has promised, wait. You're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. That's what Jesus has told them, so wait. So they're all together. They're waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower them to take the gospel to the nations. So, so, so they're waiting, but they really have no idea what's about to happen. They know what Jesus has told them. They're gonna be baptized in the Spirit, but there's really no Old Testament precedent for this. But the old is about to be gone, and the new is about to come. So here's the first point today. As we look at Pentecost, this is new. This is new. This has never happened before. The old is gone. The, the, the new has come. This is a new age. This is a, a, a new day. This is new. And so on this day, this Pentecost is going to be different than any other one before it. The church is going to first hear something. They hear a wind. This wind comes and it, and it violently, it roars like a, like a windstorm, like a tornado, like, like the wind from a, a hurricane. They, they hear something. They hear this wind. Well, in Hebrew and in Greek, the Greek word, the Hebrew word for wind is the same word as spirit. It's the Hebrew word ruach. It's the Greek word pneuma. It means wind. It means breath. It means power. It means life. This wind that's blowing in the house and is roaring so loudly. This is the breath of God. This is the life of God filling that place and filling these believers in Christ. They, they, they hear something, this violent wind. It's the wind of God. It's the same wind in Genesis 2 when God breathed the breath of life into man. It's that same spirit. It's that same wind that God breathed into Adam. This wind that fills the house here in Acts 2 is the same as the smoke that filled God's house in Isaiah chapter six. When Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and he sees the throne room of heaven and there's this, there's this cloud that's filling the throne room of heaven. It's the same words that are used there to talk about the, the smoke that's filling the house, the throne room in Isaiah six. This is the, the, the cloud of God's glory that filled the, the tent of meeting in Exodus chapter 40. It's the same cloud. It's the same wind that filled the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 at the dedication of the temple. It's the same cloud that, that led the children of Israel by day. It's the wind 
of God. The wind symbolizes the spirit of God. When Ezekiel, by God's command, prophesied to the wind and called it to blow on the dead bodies in the valley of his vision that he was having, it was the breath of God that breathed into them and filled them with new life in Ezekiel chapter 37. I loved what one theologian said about Acts chapter two, this wind, this breath, this life of God coming into these followers of Jesus. He said it was like God was performing CPR on man, bringing them to life, breathing into them the wind, the life, the power of God. One theologian said it like this, Adam is going to open his eyes once again. He's gonna come to life again as the wind, the breath of God is breathed into man In John chapter three, Jesus told Nicodemus, if you wanna be right with God, if you wanna go to heaven when you die, you gotta be born again. And he's like, what? What do you mean born again? Like that's impossible. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. It's a new spiritual birth. You gotta be born of the spirit. And when you're born of the spirit, you'll come alive. And and Jesus would say in John chapter three, the the wind, it blows wherever it wants. It's unpredictable. It's unstable because the, the, the wind of God, the spirit of God is a sovereign act of God. And that's what's happening here. It's a sovereign, powerful act of God as he blows the breath of life into these followers of Jesus. So they hear something. Secondly, though, they see something. They see something. They see these tongues of fire, these, these flames coming off these tongues that, that, that come down. So, so they see this fire coming down like from heaven and filling the room and, and resting on each one of them. Like in Exodus chapter three, when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, the, the fire of God was present in that bush speaking to Moses, not consuming the bush, but It was still ablaze with the presence of God. Fire, like the pillar of fire that God would use to to lead the nation of Israel by night. When God descended upon the mountain to meet with Moses and give him the law, the mountain was covered with smoke because the Bible says God came down in fire. In Exodus 24, it says that the people saw the, the glory of the Lord because the mountain was consumed in fire. In Deuteronomy chapter four, God says, I am a consuming fire. One scholar said it like this, the divine presence of God has come powerfully to the earth to indwell God's people. Fire illumines things. It brings light. It warms you. It consumes anything in its path. It purifies. But but fire also symbolizes passion. Like there's a, a fire, a passion inside of somebody. That's the fire of God overwhelming that person, overflowing out of that person. So they hear something, they, they see something, they experience something. These tongues of fire, it says, it come, they come down and rest on each one of them. It says that they're all filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. We know in this moment too, they're baptized into the Holy Spirit. Jesus has told them in Acts chapter one, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we know that in this moment, in Acts chapter two at Pentecost, the church is baptized into the Spirit and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And from this day forward, when you give your life to Jesus, you're baptized into the Spirit 
of God. Paul would tell the Corinthians, we were all baptized into the Holy Spirit of God by our faith in Jesus. So who is baptized into the Holy Spirit? Everyone who's given their life to Jesus has been baptized in the Spirit. It's clear from Paul. We were all baptized in the Spirit of God. Paul says, how? The super spiritual, the varsity Christians, the 18 Christians, the ones that have it all together? No, Paul says we're all baptized into his spirit by our faith in Jesus. So this baptism in the spirit is a one-time thing that happens when you give your life to Jesus and all started right here in Acts chapter two when the church is born as they're baptized into the spirit for the very first time. Jesus said, in a few days, you're gonna be baptized with my spirit. And that's exactly what happened. And it says here in Acts 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no JV, there's no varsity, there's no A team, there's no, there's no B team, there's no super spiritual. There's just baptized in the spirit followers of Jesus who love Jesus and serve Jesus and worship Jesus. So they experience something. They, they, they hear something, they see something, they experience something, and, and then they begin to say something. Did you see that? They all begin to speak in other languages they didn't know. Now we're gonna hear in just a second, we're gonna learn in a second what they're saying. They're, they're declaring the wonders of God, but here it just tells us they begin to speak in languages that they didn't know. They've received these tongues of fire and it causes them to begin to say something. They begin to speak out loud the wonders of God in languages they didn't know. Christian theologian Daryl Bach and scholar said this, these tongues here in Acts 2 function as an evangelistic enablement so that each person can hear about God's work in his or her own language. That's gonna make more sense here in just a second. But Bach says, the purpose of this manifestation of the Spirit in this moment in tongues here, other known languages, is an evangelistic tool. It's for evangelistic enablement so that the crowd that's gonna gather here in just a second will hear about God's work and they'll hear the gospel in their own languages. Jesus has promised his followers that they will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. But to do so, they're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you, then you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit has come upon them. They're speaking in these other languages. They're empowered to, to preach the gospel so that they can fulfill Acts 1.8. In fact, in Acts chapter four, Peter and John are preaching the gospel. They're told to quit preaching the gospel. And Peter says this, we can't help it. We can't, we can't stop talking about Jesus. We can't help talk about Jesus. Why? They got tongues of fire. Their mouths are on fire. They can't help but speak. They can't help but talk about Jesus because they got these tongues of fire that came upon them. And so now they can't help but talk about it. And the results are supernatural. People's hearts are going to be cut. They're going to be convicted. They're going to repent of sin. In Acts chapter two, after Peter preaches the gospel, we're going to see this here in a couple of weeks, the crowd's like, what, what do we do? They're cut to the heart. They're convicted. And they, they don't know what to do. And so they're like, Peter, who's just preached the gospel, he's got a mouth of fire, right? He can't help but preach the gospel. 
with this passion, with this fire. And they're like, Peter, what do we do? Do you hear the, the conviction there? The, the, the humility that comes from this fiery, powerful preaching of the gospel. It results in repentance. It results in humility. It results in belief. So the, the Shekinah glory presence of God has come down from heaven to indwell these new temples of the Holy Spirit. And so things like fire and wind and consuming and, and filling, this is appropriate language for these dedications this dedication of these new temples of God that just like the old temple are gonna be filled with and consumed by the presence of God. Now, here's the question. Is what just happened here, is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? We said this in our intro of Acts. We're gonna see this a lot in, throughout the book of Acts. Is it describing something that happened in history or is it prescribing something that's supposed to repeat and to always happen? And the answer a lot of times in Acts is going to be, it's kind of both. There's a little bit of both happening here, but here it's probably weighted more on descriptive than prescriptive. Let me, let me explain what I'm talking about here. This is an atypical event. Like you're gonna read through Acts, you're not gonna see the exact same thing happening over and over and over. Now, there's going to be a lot of events and experiences and encounters with God's presence and miracles that are gonna happen. And it's gonna look a little different each time. Like, like it's not the exact same each and every time. That they're, they're atypical. This happens in Jesus's ministry too with miracles. Think about all the miracles that Jesus performed. How many times does he repeat the miracle in the exact same way? How many times did Jesus tell someone who needed to be, you know, who, who was blind? How, how many times did he, did he spit in the mud and, and, and put it on their eyes? Right? That, that happened like once. How many times does the, someone reach out and grab the hem of his garment and they're healed? Right? These, these, these miracles in Jesus' ministry, they, they, they rarely happen the exact same way all over Again, it's why they're called miracles, not normicles. They're not normal. They don't happen the same way each and every time. Why? Because if they did, you and I would turn it into a system. Oh, to get a miracle, you got to do one, two, and three. Jesus never said one, two, three. He said, follow me. You follow me, you're going to see some miracles. Are they going to look the same way every time? No. No, because if they did, you'd, you'd put me in a box. It has to be X plus Y equals Z every single time. But that's not the way I work. Jesus said the Spirit blows where it wills. So, so this is a, an atypical kind of event. We're going to see some similar things, but, but, but not totally the exact same thing happen every single time. In Acts, sometimes people are going to be filled with the Spirit and they're going to preach. Sometimes people are going to be filled with the Spirit and they're generous. Sometimes people are going to be filled with the Spirit and they speak in a known language. Sometimes people are going to be filled with the Spirit and they speak in an unknown language. <laughs> Sometimes people are going to be filled with the Spirit and they serve. It happens differently each and every time. Why? So that people like you and I couldn't say, well, he's doing X, he must be filled with the Spirit. And if you do X, that means you're filled with the Spirit. And if you're not doing X, it means you're not filled with the Spirit. Right? We, we would turn it into 
a religious thing. We would turn it into a varsity and JV thing. But, but that's not the way that God works. So believers in Acts, you're gonna see, they're gonna be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again, and the results are gonna be different each time. F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar, said it like this. The spiritual baptism foretold by John and promised afresh by the Lord Jesus was now an accomplished fact. Jesus had told them in Acts 1, in a few days, you're gonna be baptized in the Spirit. That's happened now. Here's what Bruce said. Being filled with the Spirit was an experience to be repeated on several occasions. We're gonna find that in Acts. Peter's gonna be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. Paul's gonna be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. So it's repeated on several occasions. But here's what Bruce said, and I agree. The baptism in the Spirit, which the believing community now experienced, was an event that took place once and for all. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, you're baptized into the Spirit of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what we've said at our church to kind of make some, bring some clarity here. One baptism, many fillings. One baptism in the Spirit, when you give your life to Jesus, you're born again, you're born of the Spirit, just like we sang a second ago, born of the Spirit, washed in His blood. That's the new birth that Jesus was talking about. But the life of a Christian is going to see many over and over and over again, fillings of the Holy Spirit. And the results and the experience is gonna be different every single time. Let's keep going. Verse five. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to, to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So, so these are known languages. Verse seven, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet here, here we are hearing them speak in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs. Aren't you impressed? I said all this. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. You don't know if I got them wrong or not. I could have just made it up. You don't know. Okay, let's keep going. And we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early for that. Now you give us some time. No, I'm just joking, but he says it's too early for that. So first of all, we said, this is new. Second point, this is what? This is what? That's what the crowd comes together. What's happening here? What's going on here? What is the meaning of this? The crowd comes together and they're like, they're seeing these Galileans speak in their own languages. And here's why this is shocking to them. Because the Galileans were like the West Texans of the day. They're hicks. And all these people from the north and all these people from the West 
are looking at these West Texas hick bumpkins and they're like, how are they speaking? They're uneducated. So how are they speaking in our dialect? Like not just our language, but a specific dialect of our language. This is impossible. But here's what they're saying. These guys are too dumb to do that. They, 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 they are not educated. They shouldn't be able to speak our dialect. That's the question here. So what's, what's, what's happening? You see, this is different from what Paul is speaking to Corinth about. In Corinth, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians and he's talking about the gift of tongues and their misuse of it mostly. You see, tongues was sometimes uttered in a speech which no hearer could understand until someone present received the corresponding spiritual gift of interpretation. But here at Pentecost, the words spoken by the disciples are immediately recognized by the visitor. So this is, this is different than the unknown languages that Paul is referring to in the letter to Corinth. And so the crowd comes together like, what, what, what's happening here? Two things, let's, let's, let's break this down. Number one, we're seeing a taste of the reversal of Babel. You, you familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 11 of the Tower of Babel? When in their pride and arrogance, a people think that by our own effort and might and strength and intellect, we can build a tower and make it to God. And God says, you thinking that you could build something that you could create something of your own effort and strength and works and might and intellect to get to me is wicked, it's evil, it's idolatrous. And so God comes down, he destroys that tower, he confuses their languages so they can't understand one another. And then what do you do with 12-year-olds when they get together and they destroy something? You, you, you separate them, right? 12-year-olds unify, 12-year-old boys unify, speaking the same language, they can bring down all of Western society. Okay, so what do you have to do with them? You separate them so they can't talk, so they can't plan together anymore, right? And so that's what God does. He separates these people into various nations. He gives them different languages so that they can't communicate with one another. That's Babel. Well, what's happening here, most scholars would say, is the beginning. It's a taste of the reversal of Babel. This is the already but not yet dynamic to the kingdom of God. We see this even in miracles to this day, right? We see a taste of what is to come. We get a foreshadowing of the ultimate healing that's to come one day. But no matter how many miracles we experience in this life, we will die unless you're alive when Jesus returns. 10 out of 10 of us. No matter how many miracles you get in this life, unless you're alive when Jesus returns, you will die from something. And you will stand before God. But we get a taste sometimes, right? We get a taste of the kingdom that is to come. And that's what's happening here. We're, we're, we're getting a taste of the reversal of Babel. Thomas Schreiner, New Testament scholar, said this, we likely have here a beginning of the reversal of the curse 
of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. At Babel, the tongues of human beings were confused because of human sin. At Pentecost, people who spoke different languages understood one another when the Spirit descended. At Babel, the nations were separated and sent out. At Pentecost, what's happening here, the nations have been brought in. Are you catching this? Go back and read all the different people groups and nations and languages that are here for this moment, that have descended upon Jerusalem at this moment. The nations are here. And so God is rescuing, beginning the rescue plan of people from the various nations. He's beginning the rescue plan of rescuing people from their false gods. Now, when we say false gods, here's something we gotta get straight. We're not saying they're not real. We're just saying they're not the one true God. When we talk about false gods, it's not as if they don't really exist. No, they are evil and demonic gods who are stealing and capturing people away to follow the devil so that they steal, kill, and destroy that which God has created. In, in our study of Daniel, we saw this. If you, if you were here for it, you remember about these princes that kind of ruled over these nations. Sometimes they were referred to as beasts that ruled over these nations. They they're false gods because they're not the one true God, but that doesn't mean they're not real. They're very real. They're very demonic. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our, our battle is against rulers and principalities in an unseen world. Demonic forces that are capturing God's people and drawing them away from the worship of the one true God into idolatry. They're very real why Paul said in Ephesians 2, when you, when you go your own way, you're not just going your own way, you're actually following your master, the devil. So, so there are very real gods that people from the nations have pursued. They're just demonic rulers and principalities. But here we're seeing God begin the rescue plan that he promised in Genesis chapter 12, through Abraham's seed, all the nations on earth will be blessed. Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Acts 1, 8, you're gonna be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. We're seeing that happen right here. Through the gospel, through his empowerment of his church, through the Holy Spirit, God is coming through on his promise to bless the nations by taking the gospel to the nations. And we're seeing a symbol of that, a taste of it right here in this moment as the gospel is preached to people from all of these various nations who have descended upon Jerusalem during this festival. And here, here, here's what's awesome. Just kind of nerd out with me here for just a second, all right? This is so cool. One, one scholar said this, it's at least a possibility that the Roman church that Paul writes to in Romans, it's at least a possibility that the Roman church whose origins are obscure may actually go back to some of these verse 10, look at verse 10, visitors from Rome who heard the gospel in Jerusalem this day and carried it home with them when they returned. Because, watch this, by the following autumn after the crucifixion, 
Jesus was honored in the Jewish community at Rome just like he was at Damascus. God's rescue plan has begun. We're getting a taste of the reversal of Babel. The nations were sent out, but through the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and here in this moment, the nations are being brought in. And through faith in Christ, we're becoming one people again, the family of God. So, so what's happening? This is what? First of all, it's, it's, it's the beginning of the reversal of Babel. But secondly, there's something else happening here. So, something has happened to these scared, faithless men. When Jesus was arrested, the Bible says that the disciples scattered. After Jesus is crucified, we see the disciples locked up in a house, scared that they're next. When, when, when Jesus has been arrested, Peter is so fearful that he denies Christ to a little girl. So, so, so something has happened to these scared, faithless men. It says Peter, who denied Christ before, now look what it says. He stands up, and I love NLT, it says this, and he shouts to the crowd. What's happened to Peter? What's gotten into Peter? The Holy Spirit has gotten into Peter. That's what's happened. There's a new presence. There's a new power. There's a new fire. There's a new passion in Peter. Something has changed. He stands up. He raises the voice. We're going to see here in a couple of weeks. He preaches the gospel. He tells these people, you put the son of God to death on a cross. They're like, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, you need to repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus. You hear the boldness now? And something has happened to these scared, faithless men. They're completely different now that they've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 16. What, what, what's happened here? Well, before pre- Peter preaches the gospel, we're going to see that here in a couple of weeks. Peter says, here's what's happened. I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you what's, what's happening right here. Verse 16. No, what you see predicted long ago, what you, what you see here was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is new. This this is what? What, what, What's happening here? Third, this, Peter says, is that. What what you're seeing today, this, this this new thing is happening. It's new, but but Peter's going to say this is that. What, what, What are we talking about here when we say this is that? Well, it's new, but it's going to be the fulfillment of something old. The old prophesied and promised this new that's taking place. And so Peter says, listen, this is brand new. We haven't experienced this before either, Um, but what's happening here has been promised. It's been prophesied. So this, Peter says, is, is that. We see this in two places. Number one, Peter says it very clearly. 
What you're seeing happening here today is what Joel prophesied in Joel chapter two. This is the promised new covenant. Ezekiel prophesied this. Jeremiah prophesied a new covenant where God would take out a heart of stone, give us hearts of flesh, put his spirit inside of us, move us from the inside out to keep all of his righteous decrees, write his law in our hearts. That's the new covenant. And so Peter says, this that you're seeing today is that. It's what Joel prophesied. That a new covenant, a new day was coming. And Peter says, this is the beginning of that. Secondly, we, we see that this is that in what these followers of Jesus are saying in other languages. Specifically, it says this, that what they are speaking in these other languages is the wonderful things of God. The wonderful things of God is an idiom. It's a phrase that refers to rehearsing the great acts of God throughout the Old Testament. So when these followers of Jesus are speaking in other languages, what they're doing in this moment right here, Peter's gonna preach the gospel here in just a second, but they're actually not preaching the gospel in this moment. It says they are declaring the wonderful things of God. These are the great things that God has done throughout the Old Testament. So, so, so here's what is happening. This is that. This is not a new cult. It's new, but it's the fulfillment of something old. The old prophesied this new day, this new age. Now, did you notice that Peter said that what's happening here today was promised to happen in the last days? Look in verse 17. Joel prophesied in the last days. And Peter says, that is this. This is, is that. In other words, the last days began at Pentecost, 2,000 years ago. And you know what? We're still in the last days. The, the last days is often referred to as the days of the church or the days of the Gentiles. It's the days of the harvest. Because we've had Passover, we've had the crucifixion, because we've had the, the Feast of First Fruits, we've had now Pentecost, the, the harvest is coming in. This is the... These are the last days and they will continue until Jesus returns. And in verse 19 and 20, Joel has prophesied and, and Peter's repeating this prophecy that there's gonna be some events take place before the return of Jesus. And so we see that in 19 and 20, but here's what's interesting. These events happened right before this day of Pentecost in Acts 2, they're gonna happen again in history, like in our history, and then they're gonna ultimately happen again one day before Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation. So, so watch this. This is the way F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar, said this. The wonders and signs to be revealed in the world of nature that, that Peter's referring to, to here, that, that Joel prophesied, may have more relevance in their immediate setting than is sometimes realized. It's remarkable, says B.J. Hubbard, how Peter's quotation from Joel alludes to so many of the phenomena which characterize the Luke's version of the Christian origins. More importantly, little more than seven weeks earlier, the people of Jerusalem had indeed seen the darkening of the sun during the early afternoon of Good Friday. 
And later in that same afternoon, the Paschal full moon may have well risen blood red in the sky. These phenomena are now interpreted as harbingers of the advent of the day of the Lord, a day of judgment to be sure, but more immediately, the day of God's salvation to all who invoke his name. So these events happened, they're gonna happen again, but then they're ultimately gonna find their fulfillment when Jesus returns, when they ultimately and finally happen again. Now, if you've been here for our Daniel series, if you were here for our Luke series, this may sound a little bit familiar to you, right? That when we study Bible prophecy, we have to put on our bifocals, remember? And we're gonna see some things that are prophesied are gonna happen very near, but then we're also gonna see them happening very far away. The best example of this is what Paul has to say about the Antichrist. He says, the Antichrist has already come, and we've seen many Antichrists up until this point, Paul says, and ultimately one day, the Antichrist is going to come. So again, in this predictive prophecy about the end, we see these things have happened, that they're gonna happen again, but that they're gonna ultimately happen one day. It's the near and far dynamic to the kingdom of God. It's the already but not yet dynamic to the kingdom of God, where many things related to the end, we see happen over and over and over, and they're, they're almost cyclical. But ultimately and finally will happen before Jesus returns. So we have to have our bifocals on oftentimes when we read predictive prophecy. All right, so first of all, this is new. Secondly, this is what, what, what's happening here. Then Peter answers, this is that. Finally, big idea today, this is for you. This is for you. Peter twice uses the word everyone. First of all, in verse 21, he says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how are you going to be saved? when you babble your way up to heaven, when you've worked harder and, 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 and tried harder and done better and, and, and built some sort of life of righteousness and, 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 and religious activity on your own, by your own intellect and by your own power and own might, you, you, you work your way up to God? No, that's evil and wicked in the sight of God. It's idolatrous in the sight of God. No, the, the great news of the gospel isn't that you go do. The great news of the gospel is it's done. The great news of the gospel isn't work your way up to God like, like Babel. No, the great news of the gospel is that God has come down to you. And so Paul says in Romans, don't, don't, don't say in your mind or in your heart, how am I gonna work my way up to God? Paul says in Romans, no, the gospel is near, it's close to you because God has come down to you in Christ to rescue you from your sin and to do for you what you could never do for yourself. So don't say, hey, how am I gonna get up to God? God has come down to you. That's the great news of the gospel. And so Paul says in Romans, so it's very near, it's very close. Call on the name of the Lord. Re repent of your sin. Repent of your idolatry. Repent of your babbling your way up to God by your own effort and your own good works and your own strength and might and intellect. Turn from your sin and call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the gospel. 
And it's for everyone. No matter who you are, what you've done, what you look like, what your background is. Paul says, Peter says, it's for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you're here today and maybe you've just been going through the motions of church or, or, or kind of babbling your way up to heaven, thinking that by your own might and works and power and strength, you're gonna somehow be made right with God, you won't. Give your life to Jesus today. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in faith will be saved. And if that's you, just pull out that connect card. It's in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out. Check that box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ today. Take it to our welcome center in our lobby. We've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is for you. But secondly, look what it says in verse four. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit in that room. Everyone. Not, not, not the A team, not, not the varsity Christians, not the super spiritual, not the ones who had it all together, not the ones who knew their Bible the best. No, it, it just says everyone, every follower of Jesus in that room was filled with the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 17 and 18, when Peter quotes from Joel chapter two, this filling of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit's gonna be poured out, Peter says, on young and old, on men and women, on, on people from every ethnicity, from every nation, the poor, the rich, all are going to be filled with the Spirit and gifted supernaturally by the Holy Spirit for kingdom purposes. So, so this filling of the Spirit, it's for everyone. A new age has come for the people of God. There is no JV, there is no B team. But some of us are walking in the spirit and some of us aren't. In the past, of the old, the, the Holy Spirit came upon a few, it was usually the leaders of Israel. But now, Every believer in Jesus has the Holy Spirit of God within them. They're born again in the Spirit. It's what God promised in the new covenant, that His Spirit would be inside of us and would move us to follow Him and worship Him, serve Him and, and, and love Him and, and, and talk about Him. And so believers in Jesus have the Holy Spirit of God living in them and pumping in them, moving them to hate their sin and to love the spiritual things of God. Listen, it's why some of you right now, like some of you, you're, you're, you're like bored to tears. You couldn't care less about what we're talking about. And, and you've been bored in church your whole life. Why? Chances are you don't have the spirit of God living within you. You haven't been born again. Because if you did, if you had been born again, you'd have the spirit of God living inside of you. Did you, did you hear did you, did you see what we read a little bit ago about the, what, the, what the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God is this powerful rushing wind. It's a fire that, that consumes you. If you've been born again in the Spirit, you've got this passion for Jesus. You've got a love for Jesus and it just pumps from the inside out. No one's forcing you. There's no pressure from the outside in. You've got an internal desire to love and follow Jesus and serve Jesus and, and dive into the Word of God and to pray and to work. Like, like you've got this fire inside of you. That, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a born again follower of Jesus. 
That's why some of you in here, you're eating this up. You can't get enough of this. Not because I'm special, not because I'm any good, but because his word is just that good. And so you're eating it up. Some of you could care less. It's probably because you haven't been born again. You don't have the spirit of God living inside of you. Or it's just been so long. It's just been so long since you've really encountered the Lord. You've grown dry. You've grown sleepy spiritually. You've grown hard. Your heart's not sensitive to the Lord, maybe like it was a while back. You've resisted the Holy Spirit. You've resisted the Lord. You've, you've drifted. So that, that fire, that passion, like it, it was there at one point, but, but man, it's grown cold. Paul says in Romans 7, we don't, we don't serve God in the old way of the code, the written code anymore. We serve God in the new way of the spirit. So the great news is if you've, if you've grown cold to the spirit, if you've been away, you don't have to one, two, three your way back. In a moment this morning, you can experience the power and presence of God. He can fill you with that wind, that breath, that life all over again. He can fill you with that fire all over again. It's called revival. It's when you come to life again in the spirit. But listen, that life, that power, that, that fire in the Holy Spirit, it's how you know you're a Christian. And it's how you know if that's never been there, if you're just fooling yourself into thinking you're something you're not. Yeah, you've done the church thing. Maybe you go every once in a while, but that doesn't mean you're right with God. If that fire, that, that, that power, that life, that spiritual life has never been there before, then you, you have not been born again. You don't have the spirit of God. And you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Whatever spot you find yourself in this morning, here, here's the great news. Everything we just read, this is new. This is what? This is that. This is for you. It's for you. It's for, it's for every single one of you. And so what we're gonna do is pray and ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Just kind of a moment between you and the Lord. Some of you this morning, you, you've been fooling yourself, thinking you're something you're not. You've deceived yourself into thinking you're something you're not. You've never had that fire. You've never had that passion for the Lord. You've never had that love for Jesus. You've been going through the motions of church, of religion. Listen, today is your day. You, you are here right now. It's a sovereign act of God. Just like this day of Pentecost was a sovereign act of God when all of these nations came together to hear the great news of the, of the gospel in their own language. It's no accident that you're here right now in this moment. God brought you here for a reason. And it was for you to repent of your sin, of your 
religious life of, of babbling your way up to heaven, thinking you could somehow be good enough to be right with God, is to repent of that and call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved today. That's why you're here. Some of us are here in this moment. We've grown cold to the Spirit. We've been away from the Lord. We, we've drifted. And you're here right now in this moment. God has you here for a reason. It's that he might touch your heart once again. That he might bring you to life all over again and revive you right now in this moment as he fills you with the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're gonna do. Just in an attitude of prayer, I just wanna ask you to stand, just, still, just eyes closed. And, and as you stand up, our team's gonna lead us in worship here in just a second, but would you just stand and just hold your kind of your hands out like this if you're comfortable? It's just a, a posture, a position of surrender. Just hands out, hands up. And you just, just, just make this your prayer. God, fill me with your spirit. Let your wind, your, your, your breath, your life just, just blow into me. Let the, the fire, the fiery presence, the all-consuming, purifying, warming, consuming presence of God just, just fill me and set me on fire for Jesus once again. Fill me with your spirit, God. God, I pray that right now, just like we read in Acts, that 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 some people would be seeing something. Some people would be hearing something. Some people would experience something. Maybe they've never experienced before. That, that, that we would all leave this place filled with your spirit saying something. Talking about the, the greatness of our God and the wonderful gospel of our God with mouths on fire. God, in this moment, we, we don't have anywhere else to be. There's nowhere for us to go. Nothing is more important right now in this moment that we have with you. God, with arms out, hands up, we're saying we surrender. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. This, this is for us.